Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined this week by co-hosts George Cedarquist and Tobias Wright. All right, tonight we go inside the huddle with soprano Christina Pecci. She'll talk about her new one-woman show, Witches, Bitches, and Divas, and we'll find out if we're even allowed to say one of those words on the air. And then in Chalk Talk... Does opera need to hang on to the traditional system of gendered vocal classification in the 21st century? We'll see if we can figure out whether Fox are all they're cracked up to be. Plus, in the two-minute drill, you get our hot takes on everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. And, of course, you can call us on air and get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories. 847-866-9687 or tweet us at Opera Box Score or post on our Facebook page. We got so many options and we got some uh, exciting crew in the house. We have George Cedarquist. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Pretty good. No sports this week, huh? Well, we are in the sports doldrums here. When you post <laughs> Super Bowl, the Red Wings are tanking in hockey. Oh, Blackhawks so George, we had the NBA hockey. trade deadline. Was that not uh, yeah. scintillating enough for you? <laughs> no, man. You Tobias know really Harris got that. traded from the Clippers. To the yeah. Philadelphia 76ers. We, well, actually, uh, you only know about that because your name is also Tobias. That, of course, being Tobias Wright, our reason, other co-host. There's a reason I said it, Weston Williams. <laughs> we, uh, turns out we can say bitches on the air, by oh. the way. I mean, we we don't, can say bitches on the air? We don't typically swear on the show. We are in the kind of the post-9 o'clock hour, though. So don't oh, yeah. um, abuse the privilege, Toby. <laughs> I wouldn't I sh- say that. I shan't say bitches too many times in reference to witches, bitches, and divas. I just really want, uh, next I really want to find out if we can say fach on the air. Uh, we'll find out about that later. But in the meantime, let's go inside the huddle. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Christina Pecci is a singer-actress who is just at home in the world of opera as she is in music, theater, jazz, and just about every other kind of vocal performance to boot. Chicago audiences recently got to hear her in the lyrics production of Jesus Christ uh, in the ensemble, or Jesus Christ Superstar, that is, and in her one-woman cabaret, Witches, Bitches, and Divas, which you can attend February 23rd with the American Repertory Theater's Oberon stage in Boston. Christina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So exciting to have you on the air and to uh, get us questioning whether the FCC will allow us to keep talking about this. Uh, So specifically, (laughs) Witches, Bitches, and Divas, what is that and why that name? Oh, fabulous question. Um, Witches, Bitches, Divas is a one-woman cabaret, which is now kind of, it, it grows every time that we do it. Started with just voice and piano. Uh, now we've grown to a little trio, adding in bass and drums. Um, we're adding in burlesque dancers. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets bigger every time we do it. Good stuff. I, I mean, it, it, obviously there's uh, a lot to, um, I mean, obviously you can sing opera, you do music theater. Um, obviously there's going to be some uh, things you have to take into consideration when you jump from genre to genre like that. Um, there's going to be some technical adjustments, some vocal adjustments, maybe some even like uh, performative adjustments. But what mental differences do you find between those styles, if you see any difference at all, between, say, opera and the, the cabaret world? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, moving on from music theater, opera world, when you're not portraying someone other than yourself uh, and you're limited to, at times, a fourth wall unless someone directs you otherwise, um, cabaret, I love so much because you're telling your story. It's you. 
uh, right there on stage. And, you know, you're encouraged to look in the eyes of the people in the audience to really make them feel feel one with you and connected. And uh, I love that intimacy of the cabaret world. It's a it's a really neat I think genre. I feel like there's a there's a little bit of a lot of crossover potential that I feel like a lot of people don't really acknowledge anymore. But you know, kind of uh, what springs to mind for me is sort of like the 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 Kurt Weil, you know, Lotte Lenya, sort of um, you know, Three Penny Opera, uh, even Absteig und Fall der Stadt Mahagoni. There, there's a lot. There's a history there that kind of goes back a ways. All that right, I feel stop like... showing off, yo. Look, <laughs> I know about Christina, operas. Where, where did the idea come from oh. in the oh, first That's place? a good question. Like, oh, how deep this. can we go into your head to get this idea? Yes, yeah, so um, I started professionally in opera and um, struggled with the fact that I wasn't always encouraged to cross over. Um, so then I started to do that and I found a little more happiness and success allowing myself to do that. Um, and then really kind of the, the day that the, the idea was put into action was when I got a huge rejection <laughs> from, um, <laughs> this fabulous competition called the American Traditions Competition. Um, everyone check them out. They're f- so fantastic. Um, so this year I was pretty sure that I was going to get in, um, and I didn't, and it was a huge bummer. I was so excited for the repertoire, uh, and it was a lot of, you know, things that I've been bouncing ideas off with this cabaret that I kind of had in in fantasy world so it was that rejection that i was like you know what i'm gonna make my own opportunity here (laughs) an opera tunity i'm sorry i apologize i'm I'm interested to know so you've been doing the the show in several cities you've done it multiple times how does your set change yeah so there there are some pieces that kind of have to be in there always um, like we do, we do this really fun feed the bird, feed the birds, little girls mashup, mm. kind of mixing in um, nanny, two different nanny character types, um, and then you know, drunk in love. We do a little jazzy. We usually keep that in there. Um, Carmen, we do the habanera in a really fun way, which you'll have to come to the show to find out what <laughs> perfect, we're playing perfect. with. Don't give too much. <laughs> and when you say when you say we, tell us more about who else is on the team with you. Oh my! Because it is a team. Effort. It is right. a team. Yes. Yeah, so I uh, in New York, my music director is Matthew Stevens, longtime friend and um, collaborator. He's like my right hand angel. Um, so great with just discussing repertoire because, you know, I have some big ideas in my head that when I put them on the page, I'm like, this is fantastic. And he's like, well, hon, this might not work right here. <laughs> um, so he's, he's great for kind of keeping me in tune. And then in Boston, I work with Steve Bass, um, Steve Bass, excuse me, um, who is just about the same fantastic mentor that I have in another city. So I, I am pr- very privileged to have multiple collaborators. So you have multiple collaborators and you're doing a cabaret. So I have two questions here. You, is it your objective to establish a narrative, a singular narrative, or is it, is it, what's the story? What's the arc there for you? Yes. That's my first question. And I'm going to ask you a follow up after you answer this. All right. Heard. Um, Heard on your back. Knives. (laughs) 86 lobster. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I think any successful cabaret needs to have a beginning, middle, end. You need to take the listener somewhere. Um, I mean, you could do the opposite, but I think it's more thrilling for the people who have paid to see you to get to get that experience. So what I what I do when, um, you know, we're programming the show is I I find, you know, how did I start out in this career and what obstacles did I face? And then at the end, I like to give a big, positive, uplifting uh, message to the people in the audience. Cool. Okay, so my follow-up is, mm-hmm. um, we've performed together. I want to know, because I like to think of myself, Gonna, I'm going to brag a little bit, I think I'm pretty solid on stage, and I think <laughs> I'm a pretty decent actor. Um, and I think that I'm especially intense, and I found you, and I mean this very sincerely, to be more intense and more honest with your character than anyone I've ever performed with, to the point that I couldn't look at you on stage because I would laugh, because we were like friends. <laughs> Laugh. I know, because we were like <laughs> friends, and I was like, oh my god, you're so good at this. That's so nice of you. <laughs> no, but it was funny, so I'm, I'm curious. How do you accomplish that? And like, how do you dive into your characters, and what's your transition like going from, if you're going to go into those different, uh, those different paths, especially establishing your narrative within a cabaret, how do you accomplish being sincere with those characters? Like, mm-hmm. What's your process of getting into that? Oh, great question, and thank you for that, Toby. That's very, very kind of like you. like to butter you up. Oh, <laughs> um, a hot biscuit. Um, 
Yeah, so um, first of all, I think there's a little Meisner in all of us. I think it's it's very helpful to imagine yourself in your character's positions. That makes it very honest for me. Uh, everyone has their own process and their own technique, but... Um, yeah, I just like to dive in as much as possible, read the articles, get, you know, find out more. Can I visit the space where this uh, character I'm I'm looking up lived or went to the library? Like any any and all information that I can gather to help make a well-rounded character, I'm going to dive in. Um, in the cabaret world, as I had mentioned before, it's a little bit more about about you. Um, now that being said, there are a couple songs in the program that, you know, we're, we are doing a little bit of a character type, like for instance, like the, like little girls, or we do, uh, Barbara Streisand's, uh, fantastic mashup of pretty women and ladies who lunch. Mm. And when I hit the end of <laughs> ladies who lunch, I'm, you know, and I know that we can say this, I'm bitching out, you know, I may not be <laughs> mad at the moment. I'm probably like s super stoked, but, um, yeah, and then there are other other pieces where it's more um, you're more just communicating an idea as yourself. Mm -hmm. That answers your question. I, I find I, I'm not a, a singer so much. I, I do act. Um, I find it's often difficult for me to play a version of myself. You know, uh, do you ever have any difficulties with uh, finding sort of a a level of vulnerability with the audience to really put yourself out there? How, how do you overcome that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so when I first did the show, it was with the ever-talented Brian Locke, mm. uh, who's a Chicago native here. And Love we, me some Brian Locke. It, it was about a year ago, actually, last month, that we premiered at Davenport's. And I was playing, it was the first time I had done it, I was playing with a lot of um, different ideas. And for the, for the first show, I thought, you know, I should be a character, you know, um, and I, it was successful in its in its own right. But then after that show, I, I kind of gave my the, the realization that, no, this is if we're doing it this way, this has got to be about you. Um, so, you know, I, I put everything on stage. If I'm having a rough week, like I'm going to talk about it. We started adding in um, little patter bits that kind of makes me feel like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just like little little elaborations on life that are, you know, can be traumatic and can be funny and uh, tug at your heartstrings. Yeah, there's a there's certainly a lot to be found there, I think, in, the, in that sort of open format. Now, uh, kind of changing tracks just a little bit. Uh, I believe the last time Chicago audiences saw you, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, you were in the ensemble uh, of Jesus Christ Superstar at the Lyric, correct? I was. Um, what was that experience like? Because uh, it's it's a very much a sort of a um, obviously I think it was a big hit. We've uh, we've she had still has glitter in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, so what was that like for you? Oh my gosh, well, I, I just I got chills uh, thinking of it again. One of the most challenging and incredible experiences I have ever had. The cast was out of control. <laughs> talented. <laughs> I'd be, uh, you know, listening to Ryan Shaw belt Judas like you've never heard it before. And every night he'd add a little new melisma. And, you know, there'd be times where I'd be backstage doing a costume change and I'd hear him and we'd, we'd be screaming. We'd be like, oh, my <laughs> God, he's so good. Um, but, uh, no, I had the also the immense pleasure of understudying Joe Lampert as Mary. Right. And she actually got a nod from Chris Jones, top 10 performances of 2018. Wow. Which is so cool. She um, She's such an interesting performer and an even lovelier human being. Um, what does one mean when they say interesting performer? Just... Uh, where do I begin? Well, it's, first of all, and, I, and like, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Like, yeah, I, I'm like curious. Like, what is interest? Because I think that's a compliment, right? But S what does that mean to you? Someone, especially because you were understudying. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I'm curious what that means. I think it's someone that not mm -hmm. only is an incredibly talented singer and actor, but um, just has like activists in their bones, and it is able to translate that into a, what 40 year old role. Uh, or a, a production that's been around for that long and, and breathe fresh life into it. it I mean, it, it made it, her performance made it so current for me. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that show is incredible. And it's, uh, it's actually going on tour in the fall. 
Oh, really? I didn't yes, know that. Yes, yeah. Oh, I need to keep my tabs on this a little bit better. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you going to be it's... part of that tour? Uh, we don't know yet. They're still um, casting, and Chicago company members may be considered, but it's a different producing agency. So, sure, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll cross our fingers, hope for the best. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We are talking to soprano Christina Peche. Christina, you have done... Uh, obviously, your one-woman cabaret, which is Bitches and Divas. You've sung in Carmen. You've sung in contemporary opera like Voir dire at Fort Worth Opera. You also have sung in New York City. You've done stuff with Lyric Unlimited, Rhoda and the Fossil Hunt. That was in October of last year. Tell me and our listeners about Cage... <laughs> I can't even say <laughs> yes. Diva Cage Match. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Diva Cage Match is so fun. So David Lefkowitz um, was the, the brain behind this idea, and um, it premiered October of 2017 in right. Minneapolis. And he just has his sponsorship game together, had a local piano company um, use a sponsorship to I don't know if they flew it in or how they got it in, but they got a beautiful grand piano in Uppercut Boxing Gym. Um, they had it sponsored by local um, wine and liquor vendors. Um, they had some local spa come in and give us like a diva face makeover. And <laughs> it was so cool. So basically what it Who is. Who installed the sides of beef? <laughs> do, do, do. Oh, it's good. Do, do, do. Everybody. Do, do, do. Yes. Um, so what, what it was is just kind of this event where. Literally um, what it sounds like. Uh, oh my gosh. But, uh, oh, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm rambling. So what it was is that we had six uh, performers yep. and they'd, They'd sing an aria back to back and celebrity judges, um, J.D. Steele, who's a Minnesotan legend, um, Dessa, who's a fantastic uh, singer, rapper, actor, hmm. um, and Lucas Meacham <laughs> were the judges. Cool. <laughs> so they decided who would advance to the next round. Um, so it was basically a sing off in a in a in the square in the boxing <laughs> round. Um, and it was so fun. And, you know, the audience was so diverse. I think most, I would say most of the people there probably hadn't, maybe hadn't been to an opera before. Mm, wow. um, so it was so cool that we were bringing diverse in, all in terms sorts of age, of, in terms of age, in terms of interest, uh, experience it, with the art form. Yeah. Yeah. So they just did a second round uh, this past year and also in Minneapolis. Uh, yes, also okay. in Minneapolis. Yeah. So let's let's talk about getting into Chicago. That would uh, man, that would be phenomenal. I would pay fifty bucks to see that. Definitely. I would too. We could host it. Stay Why don't tuned. we make it that happen? Would, that would be pretty dope. <laughs> Opera box score. And we can we'll get Norm, Sunday, we'll get Norm Sunday, to do that. Sunday. Yeah. With like the mic coming down from the ceiling. That's kind that of happened. Did that it happen? Really? And let me give you a beautiful visual. So yeah. imagine okay. the, the mic coming down yeah. in the center. Yeah. David Lefkowitz is the MC. Okay. He has a tuxedo jacket okay. and Adidas striped pants. Yes, the tracksuit. <laughs> Let's go. It was so great. Wow. Uh, that, what's um what's coming up next for you after you got Witches, Bitches, and Divas on, on February twenty three out in Boston? I do. Anything else you can tell us that, that's confirmed or is it Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, for our Chicago friends, April 6th, I will be singing with the fabulous baritone Nick Ward uh, with Lyric Family Day. $5 for kids, $10 for adults. Oh, yeah, adults. I, think, I think the fam and I are going to go to that, Oh, actually. well, you'll see us well, not uh, anymore. dressed to the nines. <laughs> <and other. laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Uh, no, that should be fun. And then... Uh, uh, That's uh, great. Yeah, I'll be heading to New York mm -hmm. um, this spring for just a load of auditions so yes. we'll, we'll see what comes well and it sounds like you're trying to get the cabaret to land in new york again obviously it's been yeah. done there already but um i have a my, my planet i have a, some beautiful press kit uh yeah. coming up for the sobron show and then i'm i'm sending that baby out good for you <laughs> <laughs> and the reception's been positive though when you've done it people have loved it I, it's it's bad. otherwise you wouldn't Thrilled. be keep going. <laughs> yeah. yes, yes i think people uh, just go there and they're able to uh, forget about the stresses of the day or, you know, some maybe even some more serious stuff that's going on. They can just mm. sit for, you know, 60 to 75 minutes and uh, just, in, just relax. Cool. <laughs> can you get it to come back to Chicago? Oh, yeah, yeah. So point? last, j uh, sorry, last month we mm -hmm. were at the Den Theater, mm -hmm. um, the Haven Cabaret Space, which is a really cool little uh, area there. 
if you're looking for a cool venue. Um, and they were lovely, so we'd, we'd love to be back there. And, uh, you know, we love – it started in Chicago, and we're living in Chicago, so we'll, it'll be back for sure. Yeah, and uh, if you are if you're not in Chicago, and if you're a listener in the New England area, you too can attend the show, which is Bitches and Divas. That's on Saturday, February 23rd. You can get tickets at American Repertory Theater. That's theater with an E-R dot com. Coming up next, it's a chalk talk that's more of a fock talk. Does opera need to hang on to gendered voice types in the 21st century? That's just around the corner on America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. An article from New Music USA by Aidan Feltkamp makes the case that opera no longer needs gendered voice types. Feltkamp opened up about his experience as a transgender opera singer in what promises to be a four-part series on the subject for the site, and you'll be able to find links on our website, um, and we'll probably also post those on Facebook if George is willing. Um, uh, Now, this is obviously, I think, uh, a sort of a... A question that's been around for a very, very long time, but with uh, uh, in the past few years, it's become more and more obvious as uh, more sort of performers uh, come out as transgender, non-binary, uh, moving into the um, opera singing world. This is becoming a little bit more of an issue that people will see these gendered voice types and make assumptions and... Uh, there could be some problems with casting, and um, it's it's a bit of a tangle. Um, so uh, I'm going to kind of throw it over to you, Christina, not to put you on the spot. Um, but uh, well, let's st- let's start with the original question. Yeah, does opera need gendered voice types? That's the question. What's the answer, Christina? No. Great conversation <laughs> over. Moving on. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I I actually went to college with Aiden, and uh, so proud and thrilled to see you know all of the incredible work they've been doing um but this article is so awesome and important and a conversation that we need to be having um i'm scrolling through the end um the last the last little bit that he makes is um you know the question should uh should the system uh excuse me no um no oh crap Uh, No, just talking about how, you know, should the industry cater to the singers that they have or vice versa? And Mm. I think, well, for me, the the answer is obvious. Uh, And, you know, I'd love to throw out uh, Tulsa Opera has hired Mm. a magnificent singer actor, uh, Lucia Lucas, to sing uh, the title role in Don Giovanni. And uh, Lucia identifies as a woman and has a magnificent instrument and can tell a freaking awesome story. Uh, And if you have all those elements and, you know, I don't see why there shouldn't be an opportunity for you to be on that stage telling that story. I agree with you. And I think the quote you were looking for is just the final paragraph. And it says, in the end, the onus should be on the system to support and correctly describe the artist within it, not on the artist to fit within its established parameters. A system that no longer serves its purpose or that cannot expand to meet its purpose must be redesigned. Mm. In total agreement with that sentence, uh, those two sentences and, and this question. And I think one of the things we've talked about on the show is that opera as a whole reacts at a glacial pace and we're always True. behind um yes. with and which is crazy when you when you consider who the artists are that make up the community that we live in uh within the arts but 
in reacting at a glacial pace, they, it's, you know, we see the Me Too movement. And I would say that opera, more than a lot of the other performance arts, lacks um, an established way to deal with it, lacks a, a reactionary, uh, a great response, and lacks a forward-thinking vision. And then we talk about uh, gendered roles, and I think we're probably behind the times, but this is an opportunity, and I'm glad that we're talking about it, for us to say, wait, it doesn't really matter. And that's not to say that gender is not important and that who we identify as is not important, but it doesn't matter as long as the best voices are on the stage. And that's where I fall mm. kind of into this. If, if the best, I don't, if, if you identify as a woman, as a man, or, or, or whatever you choose, I think if your story and your conviction as an artist is right, then that's who should be on the stage. Yes, well, I mean, opera has been behind on this, of course, like everything else. This does not seem to be an issue in other performing arts like theater, like pop, music, you know, the Grammys, of course, were last night. We'll get to the Grammys. By the way, Casey Musgraves, who won Best Album of the Year, I literally have no idea who that person is. <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't either. So, yeah, so, so <laughs> opera is, is behind, and I, I was wrong about this. I used to think that, that singers should be limited by the word after their name, you know, their name, comma, bass baritone, their name, comma, soprano, and, like, that dictated the roles that they could sing the notes that they could sing, and I could not have been more wrong. And here's, hmm. here's the problem, is that when George, you... George, s- th- thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. For, yeah, you bet. For being a... Owning up to that. I do. I, 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 you know, I, I was wrong. <laughs> like, how many people in this world can just be wrong, flatly wrong about something and never say it? Anyway, go on. I'm well, interested because I think thing, you're smart. Is that the, so these vocal labels, to me... I like your red and, hair, too. And I, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> How about this beard, by the way? You look damn good. Amazing. For all of you listening at home who can't see, he's gorgeous. George George is in his winter apparel, and that is is strong fro, strong beard. Long underwear, everything. The the challenge is, is that vocal labels limit the potential for opera in dramaturgical terms. Mm. And your point, Christina, about the production in Tulsa is that I'm actually fascinated by the idea of Mozart's Don Giovanni, that character, that opera, that story, that narrative, when you have a a woman playing that part who sings the pitches that Mozart wrote, there's a, a bizarre, wonderful tension between those things, which is fascinating. And our job, I can only speak as a director, our job as directors is to start to deconstruct these pieces, right? It's it's already happening in Europe because the art form was born there and it's older. But like it's our job to deconstruct them. And what a fascinating way in it would be through the lens yeah. of gender and music colliding that we could start to deconstruct what we believe to be these iconic pieces. Look, let me uh, let me use this as a transition into something happening right now that I think is so exciting. Uh, in the West End, they are uh, it's going on right now. Company Stephen Sondheim's famous piece uh, is being done by a woman, Bobby. Right, Bobby B O B B Y is now B O B B I E. And you know we're we're fortunate enough to have uh, a living composer that we can work with, and he is, Stephen Sondheim himself has worked I think with the the pitches of the piece itself. Uh, and changing up a little bit of the uh, the script itself, um, but how cool is that? To a piece that we all you know that's very much in the repertory that we very much know, being alive, um, would love to hear it done by a woman. Well, and to your point, that's a living composer, so mm-hmm. that is someone who is both alive and can speak to and be aware of and open to changing it. And you and I did uh, Ross Crean's, um The Great God Pan, and Ross himself is non-binary and. That show, what was so fun about doing that was discovering characters, and the characters were all it, I, essentially it was a non-gender show, at, for the mm. most point. Yeah. I mean, I think two of the characters in that show ha- had to strongly identify as male, and outside of that, it, it it went either way. And I think that was very intentionally done, and it was cast as such um, by Ross and Chicago Fringe Opera. And so we have living composers who are willing to address that issue, and I. I hate the term issue because that has such a negative connotation almost, but who are willing to confront it and be adaptive to, um, you know, what's going on um, with with gender norms 
and societal acceptance of that. It is interesting, though, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to piss a lot of people off. <laughs> it is, Toby. Well, <laughs> well, and, you know, I think actually before I say it, I'm going to preface it with this. This is a totally ignorant thing of me to say, but it is it's it's when you look at the old war horses, it's interesting to me if I am to think of Verdi's Aida, and I don't know why that pops into my mind, but to have Radames, to me, that's such a strong male role. Mm. And so I think of things like that, and I wonder, and I'm not opposed to it, I want to say that as well, but I, I do wonder um, when it comes to what are your guys' opinions when it comes to like really, really old, and we have the, the example of Don Giovanni being uh, sung by a woman. I don't know. I guess I don't even know what my point is, other than like, I think there's some interesting. Well, I th- there are some interesting concepts that I'm willing to hear. Well, I think that there's, you know, I, I think, I think what you're kind of, uh, sort of, thinking about. I'm just sort of reading between what you're saying here. I think what you're saying is that if there's sort of a, uh, you wouldn't want Rodimies to suddenly uh, to be transposed into like a soprano range. Correct, and I, and that's ignorant of me to say that that's what transgender is, but that is essentially, I guess, what my point is. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I, I do think that there's certainly something to be said for preserving the uh, intentions on a on a purely musical level. Um, but we also can be aware that um, even though I feel like a lot of sort of the war horses from the mid-19th century, which are sort of the bread and butter of American opera companies, if you go back a little bit further um, and you think about the castrati yeah. um, in, the, in the really early days, uh, the, the, in, in, the, in the era of, like, say, Monteverdi, they didn't have the classification, uh, you know, baritone and, all, and uh, mezzo-soprano and all these sorts of things. It was just for high voice and for low voice. Often the gender was not specified um, uh, and it was not required because um, um, in the case of Castrati, um, it would be, if that was a, the high voice, they were really popular. But what was popular in it- Italy was not necessarily as popular in France. So France might do it with a, uh, what we would consider a mezzo-soprano or, uh, or even a tenor. Um, uh, so there's, I think there's certainly precedent. I mean, certainly what we were saying before, I does, I do think applies. Opera does move at a glacial pace in terms of change, but this is not an unprecedented thing to take in con- into consideration. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Toby, here's the thing is that we don't, no, know, actually, we don't know the answer to your question. Well, right. And you know what? I'm going to say this too. I'm happy to be proven ignorant. And that's what I'm, that's, I guess that was the point of me saying anything is like, I want to know how we can be more inclusive. How can we make Mm. it so that this art form can have the people who want to be a part of it, a part of it? Let me, uh, Weston and I, the the non-singing performers out (laughs) here, can ask Christina and and Toby, like, so we we get rid of these labels, say, these voice types, these fox. What happens in the audition process then, like? Look, I understand that this makes things very difficult and complicated for the other side of the table. Um, You know, these fox and these types in music theater are there to make it easier to cast. Mm. I understand that. And this that will probably be the most challenging thing moving forward to to um, to navigate. But at the same time, uh, this is something that I, I struggled with in opera and in music theater was being either being fucked or typed. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fit into a box. And, you know, mm. again, or an opera box. There it is. Not just an opera box. It's opera box score. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Get out. Very controversial. <laughs> and I'm fired. Fired. <laughs> uh, no, but, and, and again, like, uh, this is essentially why I started Witches, Bitches, and Divas is to, was to counter that. Um, but if there's a way that, you know, we can put this into play in, you know, seasoned operas, uh, it's it's happening in music theater, let's make it happen in opera. Mm. Um, it, again, of course, it's more challenging with uh, composers that we are not able to discuss that with because they're, you know, dead. <laughs> but um, living composers, I think that that gives us somewhere to start from. It and does. I- and, and, you know, to to what I said earlier, I think, George... And I keep going back to the Don Giovanni. Put the best singers. I, I, I and we've talked about it on the show too. It's and it's it shouldn't be such a novel concept. But I, I mean, if auditions were truly blind, it wouldn't matter. Mm. And mm. I and that's that man as an audience member. And when I go see a show at the Lyric, I mean that's my local opera company, right? And luckily we have a world class opera company that yeah. we get to go see. But I don't care who it is. I want I want the music to be the best that it can be. Mm. Um, and so 
flatly, it shouldn't affect the other side of the table. Wouldn't that be fascinating to like be sitting on the director's side of the table in a blind audition? There's a screen or what have you, and and someone comes in and sings a a woman comes in and sings uh, part La Cita Remlamano, right? But like this woman sings Don Giovanni's part in her octave. Well, I mean, but then to me that kind of mm. I mean certainly that's when you're that's when the discussion isn't that's when the the gender part is no longer I that's changing what the opera is mm-hmm. in my opinion when you start transposing things but imagine someone who who is transitioning from say a mezzo into a tenor role and she comes in for the same show and sings Don Ottavio I think the difference there if you're you know when that transition is happening it's not it's a marginal difference within range but the yeah. color would be different mm. yeah and and to that's a good point I don't know that you would really be able to if the technique was solid enough to tell a difference between a male or a woman singing. So it goes back to merit. If the technique was solid enough, which is what you just said, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And, that, and, and that's kind of where I fall on it. Like, <laughs> to the victor go the spoils. If you can sing it, sang it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can sing it, sang it. That's the Toby, Toby quote for the night. I got a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do think that the, I, I do think the the Fox system. You know, it's kind of like all those you know uh, BuzzFeed quizzes where you categorize yourself, and it's a, it's a little I'm bit. I'm a fun. potato. Uh, <laughs> That's what BuzzFeed. <laughs> I, I hate BuzzFeed quizzes. I, 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 I do think that... What type of root vegetable are you? <laughs> I'm a parsnip. <laughs> that is the most true thing I've ever heard, George. Uh, I don't know what kind of root vegetable when I we get be. back from the break, we're going to ask Christina what kind of veggie she is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Start thinking now, Christina. Wrap it up, Weston. Go ahead. Okay, it. okay. Um, all right. Um, uh, uh, I just wanted to say oh, one, one more quick thing before we um, moved please. on. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, this is also another reason to think about sort of getting rid of the Fock thing, I think, is uh, not just for the um, uh, non-gender binary uh, performers, um, but also you you see people sort of getting trapped in sort of their what their vocal type was when they were younger and they've grown out of it, but they feel like they've had their success early on. You have uh, sopranos transitioning into mezzo-soprano roles just because their their voices are just changing as they get older, uh, and the same for men. Um, if you become associated with that one role, and uh, I believe the article points this out, um, uh, if you hand in your uh, your resume and and you, you say you're mezzo soprano, you see all these soprano roles that could cause some confusion on the other side of the table, and and they start doubting it, even though you have made that transition. Um, but I do think ultimately that's going to be something that has to be addressed in the biases of the people casting, um, and I think that's ultimately where we kind of have to put put the onus of. Uh, of change, you know what I mean? Um, uh, so it's all on you, George. Well, you know, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that, and I know we're wrapping up this particular segment, but actually, Weston, that's kind of a great point because I don't know that you'll find a whole lot of artists within the industry who are going to disagree with that. Right. And I don't know that you're going to find a bunch of kickback or a bunch of people who are like, nah, not in favor of that. Yeah. And I mean that I mean, because that's the community that we are part of, and that's it. For the most part, while it is competitive, I think it's also wildly supportive of Mm. um colleagues support colleagues and it's like you were saying you know about jesus christ superstar you're backstage and you hear a riff and you all scream and i think Mm. generally speaking that's what it is to be an artist when you're when you're working on a show or even when you're auditioning and you're in the halls of of opera america i mean that's what it is you i don't ever want somebody to go on stage and fail and if you are a person who does feel that way you won't last long in the business yeah. And, and that's just the way it is. And so, yeah, I, I do think that, yeah, I think we need to continue this con- discussion. Shoot. <laughs> you know, really, we're going to have Aiden on the on the show. Yeah, I think that'd be that's great. Idea. Putting that out there in the yeah, universe. Absolutely. Ooh. All right. With our new co-host, Christina Petchy. We're out of time for this segment, but we'll come back to it in future episodes. I promise everyone it'll be fine. I won't be ignorant. <laughs> Toby a, will have learned his lesson by then. That's such a lie. Is there a difference between a singer and a musician? Apparently, that's a question a lot of people who write about music haven't figured out the answer to yet. That's up next on Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago.
from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This just is... In the two minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. We've all heard or read the phrase singers and musicians before, and it's safe to say most singers aren't fans. A new article from New Music USA argues that the words we use create a false dichotomy that leaves singers with the short end of the stick in terms of respect and recognition in the arts. American countertenor David Daniels, jailed for the past 10 days in Michigan on charges of rape, appears to be facing release on a $15,000 bond under a judge's ruling. He has been ordered to appear with his husband, William Scott Walters, to face the charges in a Houston court on Monday morning. Both men deny the charges. A new profile in Van Magazine of Daniel Barenboim highlights the famed conductor's legendary temper towards musicians and administrators at Staatsoper Berlin. Insults, yelling, and even physical aggression have cropped up since Sparenboim took over the music director position in 1992, with one anonymous employee saying the atmosphere in the theater continues to be, quote, a climate of fear. It's the 30th anniversary of the opening of the Opera Bastille this year, which a New York Times article profiling the theater called, quote, one of the ugliest opera houses in Europe. Despite the dubious architectural reputation of the building, the 2,700-seat house often sells out at shows, a feat many companies struggle to emulate. Opera Australia's new program, Opera for One, pairs up people who do not want to go to the who want to go to the opera rather with another participant in the program. The company says it's not Tinder for opera people, but it is a great opportunity for opera lovers and newbies to get together and experience the art form together. And the Grammy results are in. The Revolution of Steve Jobs won Best Opera Recording. It's joined in the Hall of Fame by Karim Soleiman's Songs of Orpheus, which won, for, uh, which won for Best Classical Solo Album, among others. And on this day, February 11th, it was the premiere of Donizetti's La Fille du Regiment in Paris in 1840. And that is your two-minute drill. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. And, of course, you can call us on the air and get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. We want to hear your opinion on what we're talking about tonight. 847-866-9687. Or you can tweet us at Opera Box Score. So, about those Grammys... Mm. Yeah, you got some opinions about that one? You got some ideas? Christina Pecci, our guest (laughs) tonight. Yes, absolutely. I got a rant. Here we go. Um, No, I was was tuning in a little bit. I was at work, but tuning in um, here and there for the Grammys because it's always exciting to keep up with that. Um, So I go this morning to type in um, full Grammy list, right? CNN Mm. has an article. It's not the full list. It's like ju- that no, of really course makes not. It, it's, of course, it's, I wanted to scroll down to classical, see what was happening there. Um, but you couldn't scroll down. They was, they only listed you know hip hop, pop, country, that stuff. Christian, they, you they left dig. everything yeah. else out. See me. That's not a complete <laughs> list, CNN. Um, but I did go to Grammy's website. You know, get get it straight from the source. Mother's milk. Mother's um, milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, super excited about uh, the Steve Jobs. Opera. I know a couple people involved in that production, as does Toby, I believe, and maybe mm-hmm. all of us here. Yeah. Um, Michael Christie, the conductor, score. has been on the show, and oh, I right, wrote him right, this morning. Right. I was like, How "Dude, cool you want a Grammy. you want a Grammy?" My friend Jessica Jones was a part of the production. She won a Grammy as well. Oh, oh my god! Get those Grammys. I was also no. a former research assistant for Donald Nally, who won a Grammy with The Crossing. 
for that was a choral performance, so not opera. I, I I am very proud of all of our uh, friends of the show getting their Grammys, but I do kind of have to say, Doctor Atomic got robbed. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say I, that. I mean, yeah. you knew I was gonna that say was that. Predictable. <laughs> I just love that. Was that, as predictable that as Childish Gambino winning for um, This Is America? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. was, was a pretty, great win. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. important. So, ooh, uh, Chloe times Hallie though. Sorry, just gotta talk about them for a minute. I I hadn't really known this this sister singing duo before but man can they sing mm. <laughs> who <laughs> Weston you you like the look of the bestie I do can you can you tell me have you ever been there Weston? I have give me, and you yeah. may drink give me two things you find drink. attractive about it. <laughs> I it's okay okay I mean yeah. it is it is sort of the epitome of just like that perfect sort of um it, it's really sort of the beginning of the contemporary opera house style. It. Where it looks it's, like Guggenheim. Yeah, it's 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 actually yeah, not that it offensive, is. and it, it's yeah. I think the I think the reason I think it works for me is because if you go to Paris in the sort of the the square, the roundabout where it's located, it does sort of dominate the landscape. But you know, it's 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 made of glass. It reflects the the sky. It kind of looks blue. It, mm. it makes a statement, but it does. It's not like it looks nothing else like the rest of Paris. Well, it, it does kind of, well, yeah, that's I'm going to put a fair. picture on the website, operaboxscore.com. I want, <laughs> Let us know, at tweet, tweet at us, see who's right. right. Wait, How wait, ugly wait. is it? Okay, but also talking about Paris. Oui, oui. I'm going to transition to La Fille de Regiment. Oui, oui. Premiered on this day, but the Met, the Met doing it currently. Um, yeah. And I don't know if anybody saw this floating around Facebook, and it's not on the two-minute drill, but I thought it was really fantastic. But Javier Camarena got the encore. Oh. He did. He and did. did 18 high C's oh, uh, so in Amis Ami, which what I think is phenomenal about that as a tenor is that if you have high C's, you have high C's. Okay. And they're always kind of there. And it's kind of a party trick note yeah. um, in that every tenor has to have a B flat. Okay. Every tenor has to have a B flat. Not mm. every tenor, but every lyric tenor and then every uh, lighter, leggero needs to have a B natural. Not every tenor has to have a C. Um, and that's, you know, proof's in the pudding there with roles like Rodolfo, sung by every lyric tenor, but a lot of people transpose it down a half step. So when you sing uh, Kid Jelita Manina, you're singing actually like a B or B flat, whatever, mm-hmm. depending on what the tenor's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 18 high C's, and every single one of them was laser focused, sounded mm-hmm. crystal clear. And what's hard about that aria in particular is the stamina because they happen so frequently, and then you have to hold them. And anyway, mm. I just thought the encore that he got the other night, it was so cool because you could see him like breathing hard afterward. And oh. he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to do this again, aren't I? <laughs> I'm going to have to do this one more time. And then he took his breath and you could kind of see the smirk on his face. He's like, ain't no thing. It was really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of those cool things that for me, just as an opera lover, like I don't even care that I'm a singer or a tenor. Like I don't give. What's, what's the sports equivalent for you? Of to that, sing something like that, that to 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 sing something like that, yeah, or that mm. the encore, the well, high C's. That's a great question. I think mean, about it. it's an it's inside when the you, park home run. It's okay. when you it's do the ball thing with the done, ball twice. You've done everything right, mm-hmm. but you got to go a little bit further. So yeah. to hit an inside the park home run, you're basically hitting a stand up double, and then you're stretching it to a triple, and something's got to go wrong. You got to go a little bit further and mm-hmm. a little bit harder, and then you're so pooped afterwards. But, yeah, no, I just think it's a phenomenal yeah. thing. And he was so cool about it. Anyway, I ranted for way too long about that. <laughs> Tennis for 18 high seas, let go. <laughs> Christina, uh, what was something else that caught your eye on the two-minute drill? Uh, hmm. Mm. 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 Was it Barenboim being a dictator? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, that honestly, a, that I didn't read, read much into that, but I think... I mean, I, I feel like I feel like the Baron Boim thing, I mean, we've known about that for... I mean, he, that, that's been his, his brand yeah, since so 19... however old forever. he is. We, so we have known about it, so why did this article have to get published? I'm not sure. I, this website, I'll be honest, is a new website to me. Yeah. Uh, this this is a deep dive article, though. This it is really like is. A New Yorker. It's length. it's really it's it's well written. <laughs> it's article. it's interesting. It's anonymous uh, sources. I think it's uh yeah. It, I think the I, I think the the reason it's published now is um because you know obviously with sort of the sort of the Me Too mo- movement sort of holding people accountable to uh, sort of abusing the so underlings. It's it's been recontextualized. It did feel like it was trying to piggyback off the me too movement but i'm sorry me too movement doesn't apply to someone who's mean 
because that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. Me Too movement is supposed to be an, uh, nah, maybe I'm wrong here, but like it's supposed to be, that's about a, an unhealthy workplace that's sexual harassment. This article just felt like it was attacking someone for being controlling. Well, there there is some like, symmetries because it's, it's, you know, people that are uh, abusing their power. So I, while, yes, they are different movements, mm-hmm. um, they have that that similar similar bit of someone who has been you know elected enough to to have a position of power and is abusing it either sexually or other ways. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Like, I don't know. I've worked with conductors that I'm like, dude, you're a dick, and <laughs> yeah. that's it. And I'm like, well, cool. And I can't change it, you know. And then I guess I'm grateful for my job. I don't know. We would say a Richard on this show. Oh, can dude, we not say dude, that? Dude, you're being a Richard. Dude, you're uh, being a Richard. The Christina, have you been in the room when people have talked about, oh, well, we got singers and musicians? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's the classic one. College. Oh, my gosh. All <laughs> the time. I felt like I was constantly defending myself. And, um, oh, yes. No, of course, a, a singer is a musician. It, it's like Absolutely. musician first and then subcategory. Oh, are, are you a, yeah. uh, you know, a pianist? Are you a right, singer? Right. Are you a flautist? Right, exactly. That's a how flautist? it rolls. But Why? What do you think that stems from? Like, why do? What is the misconception there? I why do- genuinely think it stems from, um, you know, I do think it actually comes from opera. I think this is this is a thing that has its roots in sort of the stereotype of the empty-headed diva or divo uh, well, in the in the late nineteenth century. I think that's absolutely where it comes from. And perhaps that's true, but also to that extent. We look at Baron Rider scores as this gospel of, or or critical edition uh, Ricordi scores of of Verdi and Puccini texts, and why do we see that? Why do we think they're gospel? It's because they give us the appoggiaturas. Well, those weren't written in for a reason, and that's because Mozart um, and Verdi in the early days they trusted musicians enough to be able to uh, to make decisions and to make artistic decisions. What I think it stems from mostly is the fact that a singer's instrument is their body. Right. And so just inherently, they have less to learn, and I say that with quotes around it, about their instrument or less to practice to produce a sound because it is a natural thing. The first thing you do when you're born is you use your voice. And Mm -hmm. so we possess this thing, singers do, um, and training it, I think, can kind of be viewed as a little bit less than. You don't have to spend sure. the time um, with. There's, there's. It's perceived that there's not as not uh, as much manual dexterity with producing a sound. And you know what? I think that that's for me. That's where that stems from. Is why. Oh, you're not as you're not a musician. You just sing. Yeah, exactly. Well, because you can't see that instrument, right? right? I mean, this is the problem of being a lighting designer: <laughs> is that you're working in a medium that nobody can actually uh, touch. I, I, me, I appreciate uh, trying to, you know, d- dive into where it stems from, but uh, and I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say uh, anyone is greater than the other, but um, I just think for me it's a no-brainer. Like because a, a musician who happens to be a singer, um, yes, their 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 body is their instrument, which is fantastic and fascinating but there's so much that goes into coaching and you know we talk like Mm -hmm. fingering and embouchures for other instruments well we have that same thing too Mm -hmm. not only are we required to you know use our voice uh, as the instrument but there's text involved usually translations let's talk about acting because that's something that we should all be Mm. be focused on too acting another sort of feel that gets disrespected for the same thing because you know the idea is everyone anyone can act because it's just pretending and everyone pretends (laughs) sometimes (laughs) I'm here to tell you that ain't true. Yeah. So, so Christina, this has happened to you, obviously. Yeah, you've you've been in that room. Oh yeah. When people have talked about singers and musicians, if it's man, this is my honesty show. I've I've made that mistake. Really? Have <laughs> I you? have. I have absolutely. George. I'm like, I'm you know, I'm like uh, obsessive about it now. I've I've but. I've worked with conductors, who I it really it actually drove me nuts. When they would talk to me, it was totally as if I couldn't understand the languages they used with the orchestra. Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, like the, the language of music, you mean like Celeronda? Yes. It was like <laughs> nobody. And I and, and like to the point where I almost was just like, "Homie, you could talk to me. Like I I know what you're saying. Like I I prepped. I know what's going on here. Like it's Goodness. totally good. I know what the page means. It's all good." <laughs> But yeah, no, I've I've been in a situation and I've witnessed it too, and I'm like, 
where did I lose you? How did I mislead you? I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it's it's just kind of, of an gun. odd situation because I I mean I'm I'm not a professional singer or instrumentalist in, in either case, but I've I've definitely th- there's there's a distinctive difference when I when I play clarinet, um, uh, the way I'm treated and the way I'm sort of expected to perform, uh, it is fundamentally different from the way I, I'm treated when I sing, um, which. Not, not always necessarily a bad thing. I, I think, you know, clarinet, obviously, you tend to be tucked into an ensemble. No one can hear you. You know, uh, it's fine. Whereas whenever I'm singing, I tend to be more uh, out in front because I'm very loud. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, th- that's good the real secret. Good to be self-aware. <laughs> I'm very loud. Everyone knows it. That's why I'm, I'm currently talking to this microphone, a little, probably a little bit too loudly. You, you, uh, you played clarinet in band. I did, I did. Concert band, marching band? Uh, th- I, I did marching band, I did concert band, and sp- while we're on the subject... Were you teased mercilessly, Weston? No, I was I was cool. You can tell uh, me. I, yeah, I was teased just That's a little okay. bit. Okay, but let me ahead. say, speaking of uh, going back, just jumping back to a different story, um, when I was reading the Barenboim story, talking about, you know, uh, the climate of fear and sort of yelling at, uh, at the musicians and stuff, I, I was like, huh. That sounds like my high school band director. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. I, you know, having worked in environments like that, and this is my personal opinion, but this is also why I'm here and not the leader of an orchestra or an opera orchestra or an opera company. One but, day, Toby, one day. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens, man. Um, but I, in, in my opinion, leadership doesn't have to instill fear. Yeah. Um, and I think the best leaders are those who can provide knowledge and then empower others. And those are the my favorite conductors and directors to work for. And George, it's one of the reasons I've loved working for you is oftentimes, and this is one of my favorite things about you, you are the smartest person in the room. You don't have to let me know that. Nobody has to know that, but you know it, and you empower others to make decisions. But it's it's a guided decision that you've helped them make, and that's why your shows are organic, and they feel like people are involved, and I think that that's what great leaders do. And so to instill fear, I don't know. I don't know that anybody performs at their best, and I always, <laughs> you know, I go back to high It is better to be loved than The high seas might be better I if go, you're fearful, I perhaps. go back to high school basketball, and I had a coach who just screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed, and I remember I looked at him one time, and he didn't he did not appreciate this. But I looked at him, and he said, how many times are you going to shoot that shot? And he was yelling and yelling. And I said, you think I messed up on purpose? Yeah, <laughs> yeah boom. And he boom. didn't appreciate yeah. that. Well, and I had yeah. to run a lot of sprints. But exactly. for that. Let, me, let me wrap it up full circle, Weston, before we go to sure. um, Good Call, Bad Call. It's for Christina. So just going back to directing then, for Witches, Bitches, and Divas, who who is that director for you? Is it yourself? Are you self editing? I am. I am, and I, I I really enjoy being in this position. It is a tremendous amount of work, and honestly, I've uh, gotten a few gray hairs from being responsible for all of those uh, you can't see <laughs> wearing all Don't those worry. different hats, so to speak. Um, yes, but I definitely pull pull from inspiration from my my music directors. Those are those are people that I very much value their creative opinion. Um, but for the most part, yeah, yeah, it is. I, I'm. I am uh, doing that. I'm very fearful with myself, though. I am. I'm pretty hard on myself. So maybe if I, I try to be a little bit more uh, kinder, we'll have a better <laughs> We can all improve ourselves yeah. that way. Well, we got to wrap it up. It's time to head on out. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. That's right. It's time for a good call, bad call. Who's got a good or bad call for me? Well, my good call, Christina Peche being on the show. Absolutely. Oh. The best call. Uh, no, my good call is the kids and I last week, we went to see Mary Poppins Returns. Now, oh. Oliver, my colleague, is going to say that's, that's not on brand. Um, <laughs> well, he's not here. We can do what no, we want. No, no, no. I, re- I respect Oliver's <laughs> opinions. It, it's a phenomenal film, and the music is great. And I, do you know what? I bought the soundtrack... To, the, to the album, and the kids and I were listening to this weekend and having a ball making up our own dances and Love singing it. along, and that inspired us to make music together as a family. And what could be more rewarding than that? <laughs> oh, so true, George. So true. 
<laughs> I got nothing after that. <laughs> I've got two things after that, so it's fine. Um, uh, we got a kind of a big week coming up for Chicago Opera Theater. There's the Scarlet Ibis, or Ibis, I'm not sure how to pronounce the that particular bird. Um, it's uh, coming up, uh, this opening this Saturday, I believe, uh, at 7.30 p.m. And there's also the Life and Deaths of Alan Turing this Friday. Uh, it's a part of uh, Chicago Opera Theater's Vanguard Initiative to develop new operas. And this is one of those new operas by Justine F. Chen and David Simpatico. And that is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Woodell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra with opera statistics and on-this-day content from operabase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Scores, Oliver Camacho. For George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and our guest, Christina Pecci, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera over a box of heart-shaped chocolates, whether you have someone special to share it with or not. We're back on Monday, February 18th at 9 p.m. Central when Matt Cummings inducts a new OBS Hall of Famer in honor of Black History Month. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.